Aaron. I'm also one of the pastors here, like Eric. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is John 10, 17, and 18, and this is Jesus speaking. And he says, For this reason my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Let's pray. Part of this morning, we ask that you would teach us what it means to live under your gracious and good authority, that we would see you as our good shepherd. We would understand we are ourselves as being your sheep called into your fold and living under all that you have called us to, that we would trust you for our lives and that we would live in great freedom and joy because of who you are and what you continue to do. Amen. Have a seat. So we have been doing this series at Elements since the beginning of the year. It's been centered on Jesus' authority. We take a, took a detailed look at Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. Uh, it was, Matthew 8 and 9 was written by a guy named Matthew. Okay, yeah, it kind of works like that. Uh, Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, he wrote the most Jewish of all gospel accounts. And I said this the last two services we've done, so I'll see if it makes sense. I said culturally, not in terms of like bagels, but culturally. And no one, one person. Okay, all right. What happened is Jesus just gave the most loved sermon ever preached, the most quoted sermon ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, people were amazed at the authority with which Jesus spoke. And so Matthew, specifically after that Sermon on the Mount, takes two chapters to show Jesus' authority by what he did. Matthew 8 and 9 ends with the words where Jesus sees these people. He has compassion upon them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says the heart harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, to show that he sees these hurting people, and he wants his people to go out and invite people in with him as our great shepherd into his sheepfold, all a part of his authority. Now, I didn't say this during the series in as much detail as I'm going to say today, but I think these words, go out, welcome in, shepherd, sheeps, authority, shepherd, sheeps, sheep, is that plural, sheeps, sheep, how many sheep would a woodchuck sheep if we... Okay, this, all, all, of those, all those words and metaphors, I think they, they resonate very deeply in who Matthew is because Matthew is an outcast when Jesus calls him in. I think the last 14 weeks show this, but if you weren't here for the last 14 weeks, that's okay. You're going to understand today just fine on its own. If you have been here, all these things are going to kind of come together a little bit by the things that we look at. When Jesus calls Matthew, we read Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now in this day, a rabbi and a tax collector are about as us versus them as you could get. It'd be like starting a joke. A rabbi and a tax collector walked into a bar because you're expecting a punchline to come somewhere. It just has to because these two guys never get along. Tax collectors in Jesus' day were viewed much different than our day. Like in our day, they're very popular. But in Jesus' day, it wasn't like that. (laughs) It is... You're a slow crowd, by the way. (laughs) In Jesus' day, tax collectors were social climbers. They essentially got their jobs by bidding to the Roman government how much money they could get out of a certain region. And so then they would cheat and oppress their own people to enrich themselves and the Roman government. They were hated. They're not allowed to testify in court. They were listed among beasts and objects that would make you unclean if you touched them. If you were a good Jew, you would not look at a tax collector or talk to a tax collector much less eat with a tax collector. In the New Testament, you 
you read in many places where it breaks tax collectors out from all the other people. Like Matthew 10.10 says, tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors get their own category because sinners don't want to be associated with tax collectors. Right? You can call me a sinner. That's okay. But don't let me in with those tax... We all have a hierarchy somewhere, right? Someone's always worse than we are. So Jesus walks along with his disciples, you know, Peter, James, and John, former fishermen, also not high on that social totem pole, and Jesus sees Matthew and stops. And I'm sure his disciples are thinking, oh, here it comes. Jesus is going to say something about this guy over here in his profession, like, lo ye, do not become like this man who has forsaken God for wealth. Don't be like him. Instead, the rabbi, Jesus, stops, walks up to Matthew, and says two words that will change his life. He says, follow me. Follow me. I want to be in a relationship with you. Your past does not have to define the rest of your life. Come into fold, in my fold, as my disciple. I want to be your shepherd. I want to be the one in authority over you. Follow me. And everyone is stunned because this is really a scandal. Matthew is not an in-demand property for rabbis. And this kind of shows the authority of Jesus' grace to call people in. People who think that they are so lost are still called in. Do you know how Matthew even ends his gospel account? Gospel means good news, by the way, because it's supposed to be good news for all of us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out with my authority to call all people into this sheepfold so we can all be under one shepherd because he longs to send his people out to send out to rescue and redeem and give hope and reconciliation to those around us. So Matthew takes a very good chunk of his gospel account to show Jesus' authority and why we should trust him. As I said today, we are ending this series on authority. We're not going to spend a lot of time in Matthew. We're going to spend a little bit of time actually in the Gospel of John. As I said, John also, fisherman, not high in the social totem pole. And we're going to talk about authority and Jesus as our good shepherd and how all these things come together just like how Matthew ends. John brings these things together. And so when you see Jesus call to Matthew to restore him and all the people he restored after, over the last 14 weeks, you have to understand that Jesus' authority is much different than our authority. The word authority in the verses in Matthew, it means power of choice, freedom to do as you please. And you might think you have that because you're an American and you are easily confused. Okay, But you don't have that same kind of authority. We have laws that constrict our freedom. I love it when people say, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's what laws are. Okay, <laughs> Laws are legislated morality. But you can't do it. You can't, you can't fly. You can't jump off the Empire State Building and survive. You can't sing like Adele. You can do the hand motion. Right? But, but you can't sing like her. You don't have authority over the day that you're going to be born or the day that you will die. I got a good way to illustrate this. I, I need two volunteers. All right. Ooh, sorry. Right there. He's, no, you're good. Come on up. So, okay. I want you to stand over here. You're going to stand over there. I'm a keystone coffin it. I know. I got it. I got it. Okay. Face him. Ooh, wow. I did this last service. And, and I had a guy who, who had actually been in prison, and I had a guy over here who was a highway patrolman. <laughs> this made it more awkward. <laughs> so, 
In the scriptures, you see Jesus walk on water, Jesus calm a storm. In Job 38 in the Old Testament, God says to the ocean, this far your proud waves can come and no farther. And the, you try that, you're going to get wet. So what I want you to do is muster up all the authority you have. And when I say go, you're going to shoot him with that water gun. You're going to tell the water to stop. Okay, okay? got it? <laughs> go. Stop. Stop. And you get to keep the gun, by the way, for getting wet. <laughs> Give me a hand. Yay. <laughs> See, no authority. You're not like Jesus at all. How about this? Okay, so I, I pay this guy to come to my house. I call him my bug guy. His name's George. So this right here, this is a stink bug. It's dead. <laughs> you sound just like Sarah. Sarah comes in yesterday to play the keyboard. She's like, oh, what is that? I'm like, don't throw it away. It's my stink bug. Could talk about Jesus. <laughs> so anyway, so I got this stink bug. Now, in, in Matthew, Jesus raises this little girl from the grave. In the book of John, he raises his friend Lazarus from the grave. And so I figured this would be a good illustration for us and, and authority. So when he does, raises Lazarus from the grave, he says, Lazarus, come out. So I want you to muster up all the authority. I didn't name the bug, okay? Let's name it like Leroy. How's that? Leroy the bug, okay? So I'm going to say one, two, three, and on three, you're going to say, Leroy, come out. you got to say it like that, Leroy, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Leroy, come out. Nope. Be creepy if it happened. Because, because I would actually go, ah, and I'd probably throw it on somebody. It'd be really weird. So this. So Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 says this. No one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. Guys, this is all true, except for Jesus. Except for Jesus. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Now, in John chapter 10, Jesus talks, or, uh, John talks about shepherd and sheep and authority, and Jesus having the authority to lay down his life and pick it up again. In John 10, 18, this is, this is what Jesus says. No one takes it, his life, from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is so important for who we are today. Jesus' context of laying down his life and raising it up because this is what makes Easter, Easter. Jesus rising from the grave. And so in John 10, I want, you to, I want to help you understand shepherd and sheep and authority and resurrection. So let me see how astute you are as we begin looking at John chapter 10. Is this, when Jesus talks about the good shepherd, who's that? Jesus. Okay, so you're in church. So I'm going to tell you, 75% of the time when I ask a question, the answer is going to be Jesus. So, uh, so he talks about the good shepherd. Who's that? Jesus. Right. Is it Jesus? So when he, and so when he talks about sheep, who's that? Us. us. See, you guys answer us so much better than you say Jesus. I don't understand why that is. Now, when he talks about sheep, that's not always a compliment because sheep are actually slow and they're dumb. Slow and dumb. Uh, in Matthew 9 and 936, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherds. And sheep. Well, you don't hear a lot about shepherds today, really. And sheep, all we know about them, most of us, is that they're furry and they live outside. And Jesus says that we're kind of like them. Shepherds were those who were supposed to tend for the flock and care for the flock and feed the flock and guard the flock. And the one thing, the most important thing I want you to get by the time we get to the end of this message today about shepherd and sheep is that Jesus came to save us, to make us one family, one group under him as our great and good shepherds. Because human beings, if you don't know this, we are tribal by nature. 
We use everything to try and separate us from one another, whether it is skin color or musical preference or age, any and number of things to try and divide ourselves. These differences were meant to be a beautiful thing. God loves diversity. He has made us all different. But what sin does when it comes in is it makes us take those beautiful differences and it makes us divide one another because of them. The basic way that that sin has caused us to do this is we make two groups. We've got us and them. Like, looking at Matthew, you have the us of the disciples and Jesus and the them of these sinners and tax collectors and those guys over there. Us and them. I tell you, I'm going to get so much mileage out of the last presidential election because it works out so well for me in this. That, that This is a whole us versus them mentality. No matter what side of that thing you fell on, the your side, the us side, you think, man, people like me, they're so smart. They see all the nuances. They see all these things. All the people on that side only see things one way. What's wrong with those people? Liberals do it to conservatives. Conservatives do it to liberals. They all think that everybody on the other side is just dumb and sees everything the exact same way, us versus them, not realizing that we all have nuances in our lives. Do you know that studies have shown that we get our self-esteem from our us social group, the one that we looked at, the one that we look at? All the way back in 1906, William Sumner, who's considered the founder of modern sociology, wrote this, each group nourishes its own pride and vanity, boasts itself superior, exists in its own divinities, and looks at contempt on outsiders. What that means is we typically only like sheep who are like us. And yet Jesus sends us out to call all people in to the sheepfold. You know, studies have been done that show that boys who are randomly put in different groups by something as random as a coin toss will automatically think their group is better than another group. Now, you might think you're a girl and girls are better than that. Nope, girls do worse. I don't say that based on any study. I say that because I'm a boy. Now, this could be anything. It could be age, politics, music, race, culture, gender, sexuality, wealth, education, even technology. Technology. We don't understand it. We feel like our phones get smarter and we get dumber. And you've got to ask like a three-year-old, can you program this for me because I don't know how to do it. It seems to separate. People even start to do this with things like the scriptures. So here's a question for you. When it comes to God, who is the in-group? Who does God think is going to make the best sheep? Who does God identify with? What kind of music does God like? Because in the scriptures, what you realize is that we are people who are most supposed to be made in God's image. But so often, we try to make God in our image. And what we say is the things that we like. Well, that's what God has to like. But when you look in this, you see that which people matter to God? All people matter to God. Tax collectors and sinners and people with leprosy and the unclean. This is the message that Jesus preaches and in the end they will kill him for it. But he has authority to rise from the grave and he calls us to return and live out that mission just like he did. So focusing on this metaphor in the scriptures that they use in God to people, Jesus says in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd. He speaks of shepherd and sheep. Shepherds are those who constantly care about their sheep. They typically know them by name in a Middle Eastern setting. And this is, this is why the scriptures say that God knows us by name. Sheep rely heavily on a, on a pack leader mentality. Not because they're smart, but they just assume whoever is in front of them knows what they're doing. They're dumb. Sometimes sheep will walk right over a cliff because the first one did it. That looks good to me. Woo! Boom, off the cliff. This is why Jesus says we're supposed to follow him. Because when we don't follow him, what do we do? 
right off the cliff following someone else. Sheep get agitated if they find themselves alone. They watch sheep, and apparently when they, when they eat in the field, they keep looking up to make sure other people are around, right? This is like you guys on Facebook. You post something. Anybody like my post? Anybody say anything? You're just like, you're just like sheep. We're all like sheep. Sheep have narrow, narrow tunnel vision. They only see what's in front of them, not peripheral things. It is not a coincidence. Why? This is a great metaphor in the scriptures for us, shepherds and sheep. Uh, there are many similarities. I think if we studied them and actually thought about them, it grows in our relationship with God and with each other. As human beings, we have narrow tunnel vision. We only see what's in front of us. We think we are so smart, like we have all the answers and we have it all together, but we don't. We all follow certain other sheep who say certain things. We're like, latch on to whatever they say. It could be like the, uh, the Oprah sheep or the Deepak Chopra sheep, or whoever is really big this week. And they are all leading people right over a cliff because they are sheep and they're not God. A shepherd comes and he moves his flock from one pasture to another looking for the best place to graze. The scriptures tell us that God, as our good shepherd, moves us from one place to another in the right season, in the right way, in the right timing, because he knows how we are going to grow. God knows what we need when we need it. And as sheep, sometimes we are so stupid because we complain about what God has placed into our hands, thinking he doesn't know how to grow us and love us and turn us into who we're meant to be. Sheep love green pastures because they like comfort. They want to just, hey, what's in front of you? Oh, that's comfortable. Great. We are just like that. But a shepherd sees so much more than the pastures of where the sheep are. They see if there might be predators out there. They have a different view. They see the terrain. And so a shepherd wants his sheep in great places, but he looks for proper terrain and if there's predators and looks for good watering and all of that. Do you see what I'm trying to say or what the scriptures are trying to say? Our shepherd, in his authority, guides us on the path of righteousness, despite our narrow tunnel vision and despite our stubbornness. He is constantly moving where we are supposed to be. And when our great shepherd sends us out to all people, and maybe we don't like all people, that isn't a fault with the shepherd's vision. It's a fault with ours. It's a fault with ours. So in John 10, you have this discourse about the good shepherd in the context of Jesus' authority, in the context of understanding death and resurrection. So John chapter 10, verse 1. I know it took me a long time to get there, didn't it? I'll make this go quicker. John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, that's the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his, the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So a sheep pen at this time would have many different sheep in it. It's like a co-op. It would save you some money. And when morning came, each shepherd would go in and they would call their sheep out. Each shepherd would have their own unique call. Kind of like you would think of maybe pig calls today. But it wouldn't sound like that. I don't know what it would be. But a lot of Oriental shepherds, as I said, knew their sheep by name. They could summon them by name. Can you imagine? I can't remember half of your names, much less furry animals that live outside. Seriously. And instead of a shepherd going in and driving his sheep like today, you see sheepdogs, you know, drive sheep. That's not how Oriental shepherds did it. They would go in and they would call them and they would lead them and the sheep would follow them. 
And wherever the sheep went, the shepherd went first to provide protection as well as guidance to the best pasturage possible. And sometimes that's an idea that we rebel against as a people, as God is our good shepherd. We don't think that God has been where we are. We don't think that God sees what we have been through. We don't think God knows what he's doing. We don't think that God actually cares for us, but he does. I can tell you, the hardest times in our lives usually produce the best growth. I could bring you up here person after person after person who would say in the middle of a trial where things were like chaos and they couldn't see the beginning from the end and it hurt like crazy, when they had their eyes fixed on Jesus on the backside, their relationship with God and one another, and the truth is actually stronger and more focused than ever before. The shepherd leads us where he knows we can grow, not just where it is safe. Now, strangers would go in sometimes, and they try and steal sheep. And, and they'd go in and, like, here's sheep, try and, you know, be a faker and do the, I don't know, sweet, I don't know, whatever, you know, the fake shepherd call. And the sheep would actually scatter because they knew the voice of their shepherd. This is what Jesus is saying. We're supposed to know the voice of our chief shepherd. And I worry about this today because so many people who call themselves Christians spend no time at all listening to our shepherd. They spend so much time listening to everyone else that we can't tell what the voice of our shepherd actually sounds like. We have let everyone else tell us what we should do and what we should believe, and it usually divides us more than unifies us under Jesus' authority. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I believe this because it works for me. I'm like, well, that's not in the Bible. (laughs) It's not. Do you know that Christianity is not something that should work for you? A lot of times Christianity, it's meant to be hard. It's supposed to confront our assumptions and rebuild us into something new and different that God calls us to be a certain type of people. I can't tell you how many people who claim to be Christians end up in my office saying and telling me how the Bible is wrong or God is wrong about something our culture says is okay. Or they have the right to do this thing that's destroying their lives. Or they have the right to look down on somebody else because of their political views. How do you live that unless you're not listening to the voice of your shepherd? I think you could ask a bunch of people that have some mileage on their life and, you know, where, where are the places where your life has been most destroyed? It is usually when we listen to ourselves over, over listening to Jesus because we always think we're so smart. And this gets to the point where it makes us exclude one another. And it happens all the time. Guys, listen to me. The shepherd, the shepherd, what he does is he doesn't drive the sheep. He calls them. He leads them. And the sheep follow him. Clement of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, said this, In our sickness we need a Savior, in our wanderings a guide, in our blindness someone to show us the light, in our thirst the fountain of living water that quenches forever the thirst of those who drink from it. We dead people need life, we sheep need a shepherd, we children need a teacher, the whole world needs Jesus. Beautiful words. And so Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11, he says then, I am the good shepherd. I am that shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he shows the difference between good shepherds and bad shepherds. Bad shepherds are like those thieves and robbers that try to steal and kill and destroy. But the good shepherd not only does not kill, he gives new life to men and women. How? By taking death from them. This is the idea of the cross and the resurrection. What the cross does is it takes away all the things that have separated us from God. All of our rebellion. All of our anger, all of our sin, all the things that separated us from God, Jesus takes care of at the moment of the cross. He also takes care of what separates you from somebody else. All the pain and anger that you feel of wanting somebody to be crucified because they hurt you. Jesus took that pain on himself as well. This is why he can reconcile us to God and to us another because he gives us new life because of his death and resurrection. 
Verse 14, Jesus says it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own known me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This, the good shepherd's relationship with, with the sheep and with the Father is based on this knowledge. Knowledge here means relationship, trust, and intimacy. It's based out of Jesus' relationship with his own Father that he gives to us. And then you get to verse 17, which is the verses we started with. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Jesus says this three times. I lay down my life. I lay down my life. I give my life. The sacrifice of Jesus' life gives meaning to our lives. It brings back broken relationships between us and God and us and one another. This is the idea of what the scriptures call reconciliation. In 1 John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In this, Jesus speaks of two clear things. Number one... His death was completely voluntary. No one could have taken his life unless he allowed it. And secondly, though he lays down his life, he has the power to take it up again. And this is Easter. Jesus' plan to submit to death was not, uh, was not suicide. That's not what it is. It's a plan to emerge victorious over our enemies of sin and death so he can bring us all back into his fold as our chief shepherd. I will tell you, anyone can die. Anyone can die. But only the Son of the Father could resume his existence at will. The entire plan is motivated by the will of the Father, Jesus' love for the Father, and the Father's love for us. Not because we are worthy, but because He is that good, because He is our good shepherd. That is authority. That's His authority. He can do whatever He wants, and yet He lays down His life for His sheep. And just like sometimes we don't like being called sheep because sheep are dumb and we're not smart enough to figure out how dumb we actually are, Jesus' words also in this day polarize His hearers. How? Well, so you have Matthew, right? Everyone's stunned by Jesus' call to Matthew. Follow me. Be my sheep. You know, I, I will be your rabbi. All that. But everyone is probably more stunned by Matthew's response. Because everybody would have assumed that Matthew would have laughed in Jesus' face or audited him. You know, <laughs> one of those things. But he doesn't. Matthew is undone because of the goodness of Jesus. He lets go of his pride. He lets go of his job that's destroying him. And what he does instead is he throws a party where he uh, invites all of his wandering friend sheep to come in. Sheep, see, that's plural. To come in. And they can receive healing and forgiveness and grace and restoration. All based in Jesus' authority because Jesus will lay down his life for all of them as he lays down his life for us. As I said, Jesus rises from the grave and dies and rises because we have all wandered off, and he wants to bring us back in. He throws open these pasture gates to bring us into his fold because of his death and his resurrection. The beauty of Matthew is the beauty, I think, of most people around us. Most people around us, I think, are one ask away from knowing who Jesus is, but so often we remain silent. All it takes is Jesus' call as our great shepherd, and his call to us is to go out and speak of his goodness and his grace. Easter is about Jesus' authority to resurrect and call us all to himself. We are meant to be those who submit to his authority, become sheep who hear and listen to his voice. And I guess the question for us today really becomes, are we listening to his voice? Are we really listening to him? Do we understand that Jesus is the one who speaks and brings truth? If we do, then we should live and follow in his authority and love him as our only chief shepherd. That our lives should be bowed to him. And then we should seek out other sheep. Because everybody matters to God. 
And I know sometimes when people hear that, they think, yeah, everybody matters to God but me. Have you seen my life? Because I will tell you, your life matters to God. What Jesus did, he did for you. And we are supposed to be a people who understand the goodness of that and go out and speak of it. I, I don't recommend you go out and talk to somebody like, have you met the good shepherd? Because they're not any idea what you're talking about. Like, you get it because we talked about it all morning. But, you know, there's different metaphors of how you talk about it today. You'd say, I, you know, I was driving my life into the ground and Jesus rescued me from those places. You, you ever see um, this old picture where you got, you got Jesus and he's carrying a sheep on his shoulders? Okay, if you haven't, there's a picture and it's Jesus, he's got a sheep on his shoulders. I don't know if this is true or not. I never looked it up to find out if this is true. But someone, someone once told me that the reason Jesus is doing that uh, in that picture is that Middle Eastern shepherds, when they had sheep who wouldn't listen to their voice and kept wandering off and wandering off and wandering off, eventually what a shepherd would do is he would go and he'd get that sheep and he'd break its leg. And then he would mend that up and he would bind it. And for like a month and a half, he'd have to carry that sheep around on his shoulders. And they would build this deep bond because of that brokenness. And then when he set that sheep down, that sheep would never leave the shepherd's side again. I think sometimes for us, it's important to understand the broken places in our lives are because God is mending us. And God is pulling us to himself. And he wants us to be a sheep that live under his great and good authority. Guys, this is why we talk about communion every single week, not just on Easter, but every week at Element. And you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken itself for us. And you dip in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me so that we get to come in to his sheepfold, to be a people under his great and good authority. And we also get to go out and speak of his goodness and his grace. The man's going to come up. As they do. Uh, as I said, we might take a meeting to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer today, maybe, maybe you're, you're in a spot today and you hear all these things about shepherd and sheep and it's all new to you and you're like, yeah, I sound like one of those sheep. You know, they would love to pray with you about that. Maybe there's some people in your life that God is calling you to talk to and you're, and you're scared to death about doing it. They'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you feel like your life is just full of chaos and brokenness right now and you, and you are looking for the great shepherd to mend and bind you up again. They would love to pray with you about that. As all of our lives make much more sense when they are under his authority and his grace. We have purpose and meaning again. We are meant to be a people who go and live this out so the world sees how great our God actually is, the joy that he brings, even in the midst of mending us in our brokenness. As Eric said, they're offering boxes in the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's meant to be a response to what God has done. And as Eric said, there's usually food in the back. I don't know if there is today. Is there any? A little bit? Okay, so if you want to, like, beat somebody up to get a donut, apparently you can. Uh, God will mend that wound. Boom. I'm... The reason we normally have food in the back is that we want you guys to connect to one another and grow and ask some of these questions. You know, where is God leading you or where is God speaking to you but you're refusing to follow where he's going? Where have you run off? Where has God broken and mended you or where is God breaking you now to mend you back up again? All of these things are what we do in community with one another to speak of the goodness and the grace of God. But it is Easter and there's a lot of cars in the parking lot so get out. (laughs) I guess I should make jokes like that. People think I'm serious sometimes. <laughs> so we're, we're only actually going to do a couple songs here at the end. So if you're going to take communion, you might have to go fast. Uh, but guys, remember, Jesus is good. 
He binds us up. He calls us in as our great, good chief shepherd. We live under his authority, and we honor him with all of our lives because our God is so good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who who seeks us and saves us and in times breaks us. And then you come and you mend us again. And teach us to understand that the brokenness that we experience throughout our lives is a sweet breaking. It's one that draws us back to you again, to trust you with all that we are. Father, I ask that you would teach us to see those hard times in our lives as, as times of growth. And that we would understand that you have called us in. Because yes, all people matter to you, and that means that we matter to you. So teach us to have that, that vision that you have. That we would see the world around us the way that you see the world around us. That our hearts would break over the brokenness in our world, but we would understand that we are also meant to step into those situations and bring life and hope and joy again. By bringing the good news of our great shepherd to those situations. By being your ambassadors and your hands and feet to this world. That when people look at us, they could see past our sheepiness and they'd be able to see our chief shepherd that has loved and drawn us and restored us and renewed us. So today, teach us to understand your love and grace and goodness that never fails and that brings all of us home. Teach us to love you by how we live this life. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.